Welcome to Anecdotal Anatomy, the weekly podcast that explores the nooks and crannies of living in a body. Sometimes it's the two of us having a casual conversation through the filter of that day's topic, and other times we have special guests who add their voices to the chat. We are yoga educators and body workers with decades of experience as practitioners and teachers. It is with reverence and joy that we choose to take these conversations off the mat and into the microphone. Our aim is to understand the human experience through the stories our bodies hold and the stories they tell. Since having a body is the one thing we all have in common, it seems like a good place to start. We are your hosts. I am Teresa Tobin Macy. And I'm Sherry Sadoff Hank. Join us on this journey of discovery as we sleuth our way to the connections of our individual tales to the collective experience of being alive. All right, so we're back. <laughs> hey, Sherry. Hey, Teresa. We are together again. Yay! <laughs> it's a lot, of, I have to say, it's a lot of fun being in the same place while we talk. It's yeah, it makes um, a whole difference. I mean, Zoom is great and we'll probably Zoom again when needed, but whenever we can, we're going to try to come to you together. Yes. Come to you together? Come to you together. Unite in order to join our forces. Ooh, unite yes. and connection. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oops, a little spoiler alert. Yes. Yes, but before we start, we want to give you a little teaser. Not the teasers that you see on Facebook, but we have an offering coming up. Yes, we do. We have camp uh, as adults it's an adult camp we are going to have four separate Sundays that we will be meeting um, in the afternoons for two hours location to be announced soon what we've decided to do was for the next four episodes of this podcast we're going to let the themes coincide with the themes of camp so camp is an acronym and um, we're not going to give it all away. We'll, let, we'll, we'll slowly tease out what the acronym is for. But C, is because today is, is the first day of the rest of our lives, we'll start with the first letter. Um, C for camp is community, communication, and connection. And, you know, we've already started with the elements of fascia that exemplify those things. I was inspired, speaking of fascia, um, by an article that I read by Dr. Robert Schleip. He wrote this way back in 2015, and it's fashion, fashion. Fashion, it's a fashionista. It's a fashiona fashion. fashionating story. Ooh, maybe we'll do fashion. We'll do anecdotal anatomy fashion. Ooh, that could be fun. I like that. I've heard it as fashionista, fashionating. Right? Right. So pick what you like if um, fashion is speaking to you, because it is the great communicator. So his article is Fascia as an Organ of Communication and a Community Model. Oh, I wrote the community model. He didn't. <laughs> Let me go back. <laughs> it was Fascia as an Organ of Communication, and I added, and a community model. So as we begin with moving forward, I want to say that I was inspired by this article. And Dr. Schleip is a scientist, so honoring that... I have pulled tidbits out of his article, but in a story-like and anecdotal way. So, just so that you know that this is my interpretation of his science. Drum roll, please. Da -da -da -da. Yay. 
Yes. <sighs> I love not having a Zoom delay. You can do things like that. <laughs> so continuing with the metaphor of how our body functions, this united collective universe that lives with inside each and every one of us is our own personal neighborhood, right? And then we get to join neighborhoods. I get to join with Sherry's neighborhood just sitting here right next to her. So the body is our metaphor. Our neighborhood is a metaphor. And how we build connection is grounded in science. Oh, did you, were you going to read the article? Did you read the article? Oh, no, I'm not going to read the article. Oh, you I want me you to were, read the article? I thought that's what you were doing. Oh, no, okay. no, no. <laughs> Um, it's a long article. <laughs> so, and in this world of the universe and neighborhood being inside us, I was just thinking while you were talking that the body is has a wisdom all its own. Like Mother Nature has a wisdom all her own. And there's an efficiency to that. There's an organizing feature to it. There's a sense of logical um, connection to it. I have this feeling that nothing is ever wasted. You know, we start somewhere, we do something, say we declare a major when we're too young to even know where the fuck we're going. And we study that whether we're in college or not, we could be studying that just in the, the school of hard knocks and the school of just being out in the world and working and figuring out what it is we're doing. And then, you know, fast forward 20, 30, 40 years. Are you doing what you started doing? Well, chances are no. Um, but then chances are also really good that there's a seed from that time that has continued through all of the things, no matter how disconnected they may seem, there's always going to be something of that origin story in what we're doing. It's kind of like finding the pain, like Teresa said last time, finding this the pain and then, what did you say, traveling? Look some, elsewhere for the cause. Look elsewhere for the cause. So while it may not be painful later, that we can look to find our root stories, our origin stories, the causes that brought us to where we are. So I've said this from season one, I started out in acting. That was something I wanted to do my entire life from the time I was three till the time I decided, really, this is the life I want? But I look and see where the trajectory has taken me. And I spent 10 years temping, temporary jobs. So I would have, you know, long-term temp things. I would be corporate sometimes. I was one time in a scuba suit down at the, at the South Street Seaport selling the Swatch scuba. Oh my God, never, you do not want to see me in a scuba suit, but that's beside the point. But so all of these little things, promoting food at the gourmet food stores, Balducci, Zabar's, um, Jefferson Market, all of these places all around the city, to the point where I got to my temping agency and I said, you know, I can't work for anyone who's not a president or CEO of the company anymore. Um, this is when I became a little more corporate. And then I worked for the president of broadcast at ABC twice. It was amazing. And I will say he was one of my favorite bosses ever. Did I go into the field um, formally? No, I never really did. But I got glimpses and tastes. And so then fast forward, someone says to me, you got to take a yoga class. Well, if you knew me, I was, yeah, you know, I'm wearing this big heart. I've got, I'm a hippie. I'm a deadhead. I named my first daughter Cassidy after a Grateful Dead song. You know, the hippie parking lot culture and the rainbow gatherings were what called me. So I wasn't very athletic. That's not to say one, you have to be one or the other, but yoga just felt like something that someone else did. But she told me I should go because of this one teacher. And it was this teacher that brought me back, this teacher, Lippy, who was just so amazing, who her story fed into mine. And 
all of a sudden I discovered something that brought it all together, that this hippie nature, this spiritual seeking, this this part of me that I thought only lived in a tent or in a tie-dye actually also lived on the mat and on a cushion. And so that fed into the story. And then I was able to take those lessons off the mat and the cushion. And then I brought it back and I got to teach. And teaching, if you are called by a teacher, it's not going to be because they have just the information that you want. I took a Hinduism, Buddhism, and Taoism class at, at in college. It was the most boring class I have ever taken in my life. If you look at my notebook, it's all doodles and it's all scribbles and, and drawing in there because the teacher was as dry as a piece of white toast. And I just, I didn't, didn't call me. And then I'm on the mat. I have a teacher who speaks to me. And next thing you know, Hinduism, Buddhism, Taoism, yoga philosophy, it's all sparking something inside. But then as a teacher, I was able to access some of the performative skills that I had. Not that the information was performative, but the experience of relating the information tapped into the performer in me. And I got to be big again. On In front of that class, I got to be the fullest sherry that I could be. And it was really thrilling to see that all of those things, even that freaking scuba suit at the South Street Seaport, the horrible stories of, you know, the deep, the deep fryers and Macy's and all the people coming in just to eat the food and not buy the fryer. Like all of these stories have created the trajectory, the pathway to where I am now. So uh, isn't that fascinating? That's fascinating. <laughs> and what I take out of that was I also wore a scuba suit right? <laughs> when we were gishing. Oh, my gosh. At the beer garden on Snipes Farm. That's I had so to go funny. there and order a beer in <laughs> my scuba Full suit. Beer. So huh, oh who would have known we yeah. have that in common, too? Right. <laughs> Man. Uh, yes, but I love the way that you talked about how you can connect all of the experiences that you've had in your past. Yeah. Um, being in dentistry, learning to you know communicate with clients, with patients in, mm -hmm. in, in the medical profession, their patients, for me, their clients. But being in dentistry, it helped me with understanding how to communicate with people and help them to reach their goals, to know how to treatment plan and you know, find the steps to get from where you are today to where you want to be. Doesn't that also speak to the forming and deforming? You know, in the beginning, requesting a certain job or a certain way of living, because you know, sometimes our jobs are our way of life. And to, to request, I mean, for me, temping, I couldn't, I couldn't know that I was going to be in a corporate job endlessly. Yeah, I could work at Pfizer for a year and be fine knowing that it was going to end, but I could not see myself. And I'm not saying it's a bad place to be. I'm just saying it doesn't speak to my story or my rhythms or the way that I interact with my internal and external worlds. Uh, knowing that there's an end date, I can do that. So even just asking for the temporary experience gave me a chance to form around these different communities and then make the choice to deform according to my own request. Mm. Woo. Deform and reform is going to lead me into the fascial network. So excellent. The fascial <laughs> network. That's what we're going to talk about today. The richest sensory organ in the body. It's nicknamed the great internal communicator, abundantly filled mm -hmm. with 
sensory information. Our life, we talked about this in season one, mm -hmm. that we experience life through our senses, through how we feel. And then we have a language to try and communicate them, which is exactly what we're trying to do right here, mm -hmm. right? We feel life and then we give it words so that we can organize it in our mind and communicate it to others. So let's talk about these communication receptors yes. that the body has. Because when you first said the great communicator, I was like, well, how exactly does it communicate? We think about our eyes to see, our noses to smell, our ears to hear, our taste buds taste. So how is it that the fascia network fabric, all of that is able, it is integrated? How does that interact with our experience of communication? Well, I'm going to take a step back before okay. I actually get to there because you mentioned all of the senses, except one that's my favorite, which is, yes, the sense of touch. And as you had just pointed out, all of the other senses have a specific organ, mm -hmm. a nose, eyes, mouth, ears. We can relate them to a specific mm -hmm. part of the body. But the sensation of touch, what part of your body experiences touch? And it's all of the body, this whole entire skin, the whole body experiences the sense of touch. So that just has always, always fascinated me. It's also one of the senses that, if you really read about it and dive into it, mm -hmm. is the sense that is deemed the one we cannot live without. Mm -hmm. That if, if, when I was in massage school, um, and I will get to those receptors very soon. <laughs> when I was in massage school. Casual conversations, <laughs> we're just moving along. Uh, I had to do a final project, and I decided that that final project would be infant massage. And as I came down the rabbit hole of infant massage, it led me right into failure to thrive and touch. Mm -hmm. And a research study that happened post-World War II about the amount of children, babies, that there were in orphanages. Mm -hmm. And when they started investigating, they were fed, they were clean, they were bathed, their diapers were taken care of. Mm -hmm. However, there were so many of them and not as many caretakers that their bottles were propped up. They weren't fed and cuddled and nurtured and nourished. And as a result, there was a failure to thrive. They um, just were losing weight, even though it appeared that all of their needs mm -hmm. were being met but their sense of touch was not being met. So as I kept researching, the other demographic at that point that was also touch deprived were seniors, especially those who may have lost a partner. And it led me into reading about something called the kangaroo program. And in the kangaroo program, somebody sat down and brought in seniors into NICU units and they were able to sit with the babies and cuddle and feed them and rock. And they became volunteers at the hospital mm -hmm. in this kangaroo program. I love that story. It has really influenced me throughout my entire massage career. Um, but all their lives were improved. The seniors not only benefited from that touch as well, but all the volunteers became friends. They would go out for coffee. So. Touch is um, something that, as you stick around with us, you will hear me talk about all the time. And um, that's going to lead us into 
maybe emerging um, over the past two years, three years, mm -hmm. you know, maybe touch has not been as prevalent in our life as it was prior to 2020. And so I'm going to give my first suggested homework, which is going back to, <laughs> what was it? The New York phone company, I think. Reach out and touch someone today, <laughs> you know. Ma hug, Bell. Yes, Ma Bell. Reach out and touch <laughs> somebody <laughs> and start to really um, get back in touch. Back in oh, touch. Back in touch, right? So there's, when you talked about the receptors, we were talking about them earlier, you were saying that we can understand one of the receptors, and I'll let you go a little bit more into it, when we put words to our emotions. I know I'm going into the third or fourth one, we're not going in order, but this idea is stay in touch. I've got butterflies in my stomach. You touch my heart, my heart is breaking. All of the, there were some other things that you had said that, uh, but you, the reason I'm bringing it up now is because you already said it, stay in touch, that there was a feeling attached to that. Um, so if you want to explain what that, in terms of the fascia communicators and receptors. Absolutely. I can go out of order. Why not? <laughs> yeah. hey, there this is, is no linear order. Yes. <laughs> it's like the koshas, man. So this is a perceptual organ um, that has a sensory relationship with our body. And there are four communicators that we will talk about today. There are a lot of them. And the one that you're referring to is interoception. And interoception is our way of knowing what's going on inside of our body. Am I hungry? Am I thirsty? Can I feel my heart beat? Um, is my bladder full or is it just irritable because I had way too much coffee this morning? Can I interpret these internal sensations? And in studying with Dr. Schleip and, and reading some of the research, I'm, I am gonna read this directly. Interoception pertains to how one perceives the sensations related to the physiologic needs of the body. Mostly subconscious signaling informing the brain about this physiologic state and how it relates to our need to maintain homeostasis. Our homeostasis is balance within the body. That's taken from uh, Dr. Schleip and Jaeger, a research study they did in 2012. So just to cite that appropriately. Mm -hmm. But when we talk about interoception, it's often related to emotions. Mm -hmm. So we'll talk about proprioception uh, in a minute, but it's a somatic emotional mm -hmm. connection between our interoceptive communicators. And so we'll often find that it's um, discomforts like irritable bowel or irritable bladder or that upset butterflies in your stomach. These things that happen internal and... Stage fright. Stage fright, yes. Mm. That there's emotions that are connected to these sensations mm. as well. So. Uh, again, this brings us back to how we experience the world. I get nervous. Ah, I'm so nervous I can't even eat my breakfast because I have butterflies in my stomach. And you can see how these interoceptive signals, what's one that you might have? Something, a uh, saying, something that you say, hear the words, I'm so upset that I have butterflies. My stomach is um, churning. You can 
see how the stomach is speaking to an emotion or I am linking the emotion. And it can be positive too. You've got a fire in your belly, yeah. you know, or my, you know, or get a fire at your butt or, you know, whatever. <laughs> What's going to motivate you? What's going to you know, move you into your purpose? Um, sometimes it's it's positive. It's not just, you know, butterflies can also be positive. I'm, I'm excited rather than anxious. You know, there could be both sides of that. Yeah, I'm so excited to come and record with, with uh, <laughs> Sherry today that my heart is racing oh. and it's pounding in my chest. Yes. So there's always a way that the body has of whispering and communicating. And that's interoceptive. Mm -hmm. And how about if we take interoceptive as a stepping stone into how it might show up in our neighborhood? You know, there in every neighborhood, I, well, I shouldn't say that. In my neighborhood, and I've heard other people say this, there's that one house that all the kids tell a story about that they won't go to on Halloween or they're the group of kids who must go on Halloween because they want to, you know, scare themselves or they tell stories about the people in that house. You know, I don't remember the story about the one in my neighborhood, but I remember it was like every time we'd walk to school, we would, you know, run past because we were scared of the house. And whether the story it was all after the because, none of it was, you know, verifiable or, you know, evidence-based, but we would get the feeling in our stomach that we had to walk quickly past there or in anticipation of getting there. Um, you know, if your parents let you walk to the shopping center to get candy at the 7-Eleven or, you know, something, there's an excitement about the journeys on your own in your neighborhood, finding autonomy, at, you know, when, as you grow from child to, to teen to grown up. I kind of look at interoceptive too as maybe cultural neighborhoods. You know, you talk a lot about being from New York and Manhattan. Well, I, I'm not from New York. I mean, I, I lived there for 17 years, but I grew up in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I actually grew up in New York. Yeah, most most important years there. Many neighbor neighborhoods have this internal flow to them, right? This this internal communication um, of the roots of its citizens. And sometimes those roots have so much diversity that the internal communication blends and integrates and grows mm -hmm. in so many beautiful and expansive ways. And sometimes communities are more culturally um, grounded mm -hmm. and they have their own internal communication. Maybe there's a language that's spoken in specific neighborhoods. Um, or have you uh, seen certain certain foods i love food yeah. culture that could be a really great anecdote mm -hmm. about the interoceptive communications and then what happens when gentrification comes i don't know if you've seen in the heights lin-manuel miranda's in the heights have you seen it the movie um, when I was in New York in the beginning, in the very first beginning, uh, it was on Broadway. I think it was, it, was on, it was a stage play. I don't remember if it was Broadway or not, but it was a stage play. And it's one of my few regrets that I didn't see it on stage. But I did see it recently, and it was so exciting and thrilling that the, the, the Washington Heights community in New York City so bonded, so culturally, and um, this neighborhood just felt so beautiful and and it's changing it's it's changed over time and how does it feel as those with those roots to feel sometimes those roots being you know pulled out not by choice you know but by circumstances by those bureaucratic systems that then come in and say you know what this is now a place we want to expand and change 
for our purposes or whatever it is. You know, there's still a thriving community there. I don't, don't get me wrong. I was there visiting one of my best friends lives there. Um, and it still feels very, you know, culturally embedded, but it does change. And I feel for people when their neighborhoods, you know, take on directions that aren't necessarily by their choice. And our interoception allows us to hold on to our cultures and hopefully share them openly so that um, as we share our roots, we share our cultures, we do that in a way to connect, to unite, to yoke, to bring us closer together in our neighborhood. Well, that is our aspiration for sure. That is aspirational. I kind of wish it was more like that. Um, but we're talking about receptors and we're talking about the internal things and so we could get off on to whole different tangents but guess what people that's a whole other podcast <laughs> yes yes i'm sorry i digress that's okay that's uh it'll come at some point in time but so that's interoception how does my body communicate inside and can we begin to heighten our awareness to hear to listen to the subtle energies that are speaking to us from within and move on to some other receptors that we have. So we'll go from interoception to proprioception. And this is uh, a big one. <laughs> a very big one. So this is proprioception is about a kinesthetic awareness that en enables us to sense our relative position of our entire body within the ethers and the spaces that we move around in, but also our body in relationship to how each of the different body parts relate to one another. So as a body worker, a yoga teacher, a yoga therapist, you know, we are looking. I am always, sorry, you know, some people will say, are you assessing me? And I'm not, but it's hard not to notice when we're Think about proprioception and maybe with a little bit of an interoceptive eye, you as the listeners can also add some proprioception to that. Where is your head right now? Does it feel like it's centered or does it have a tilt to one side? Do you feel like you are sitting square in your chair? Uh, I know that I'm kind of leaning into mm -hmm. Sherry. So am I center balanced or deviated to one side? Do I have a high shoulder or a low shoulder? And think about waking up in the middle of the night in your home, and you know that you want to get up and go to the restroom. You probably don't even have to open your eyes. You've done it so many times that your body is proprioceptively <laughs> aware yes. of where each place is that you can get in, do what you have to do, and get back to bed without tripping, falling, or banging into anything. However, if you're staying at a friend's house, you may find that on the way there's a stubbed toe, <laughs> or if you have children who may have left their toys out in the way. So we build this kinesthetic awareness of how we move, but also how we navigate through different places. And that's, it's so funny because the bathroom thing, yeah, I'm up quite a few times in the middle of the night, TMI, um, but Wendy Warner, who was one of our guests season one, I went to see her and I had told her that and she says, well, do you get up because you have to pee or are you already up and decide I might as well pee? Like this goes to that interoception, interoception. thing. And honestly, I didn't freaking know. I didn't know. And so sometimes I'm recognizing now that it's a combination of both. 
sometimes I wake up and I think, let me just go while I'm up so I'm not so tired if I actually have to. And then sometimes it's what gets me up. But um, just an interesting thing. I never thought about it in terms of interoception. The proprioception in terms of yoga, because I know that there are yoga teachers, yoga students, body workers out there. I found this really interesting. Now, I don't do a lot of the big poses. They, my body, like I said, I was not an athlete. There are certain things that are just not accessible to me. Um, and I was never a great dancer, those kinds of things, gymnast. But that's not what yoga is to me, the asana at all. I mean, it's part of it. It's certainly a vehicle. But I can do a headstand at the wall with a fair amount of ease. And I can come down with a fair amount of ease. I have a proprioceptive sense of where my body is in space when I do a headstand at the wall. My head is touching the ground. There's something grounded. The few times I've been able to get up into handstand at the wall, always with an assist, I've never been able to kick myself up there. But when I'm up there with the assist and then they walk away, I always hit my head on the way down. I have zero sense of proprioception when I'm upside down in a handstand, different than when I'm upside down in a headstand, which I find fascinating because they're both upside down and my hands are grounded in a handstand, but for some reason I think having my head touch the ground gave me a different sense of proprioception. So as a yogi, as someone who practices and teaches and studies this, I find that fascinating. And I don't want to overuse that because now it's becoming cliche, but it, it is it is fascinating to me. We get to look at proprioception through so many different lenses. So the personal lens, where we are in space, um, we'll play with it at camp. So how do we feel and experience where our body is? And then that proprioceptive awareness, again, coming into our neighborhood in the form of play. So another little teaser coming out there how do we play and you know we have a few games set for camp so that we can explore all of these different topics so that's proprioception where are you in space at this very moment and are you aware of your external body and how it relates to each other each individual part in the collective connected whole and are you hungry <laughs> or maybe are you thirsty? <laughs> and you had said something um, about the pain thing. You know, if you find the pain, well, we did this already, but what was it? Look, look elsewhere uh, for the cause. Look elsewhere for the cause. So I have sort of a knee situation, and I'm noticing I'm, I've been doing compensation patterns for, I want to say, a couple of years now because going up and down stairs can be a little tricky. It hasn't gotten worse. So I continue to do it like that pile that was in the middle of my, my dining room that I navigated around for years until I cleaned it up. But this idea that this knee pain could, could not pain, but um, sensation may over time result in something in my hip or my low back or even my opposite shoulder. I don't know. That's the fascia connecting all of these things. And when we were talking about this, you know, find this and look elsewhere, that it, it occurred to me that um, the communication piece that allows our past to communicate with our present, like the stories I said in the beginning, the origin story may not appear to look like what the fruition is over, over your, the trajectory of your years, but that there's still a communication happening. And so communication of time from past to present and all the way through, communication from my ankle to my earlobe, you know, whatever that may be, that um, 
it gives us an opportunity to explore, to investigate, and to not just rely on what we think in this very moment is the absolute truth of the matter, um, which sometimes can be frustrating when you're doing an intake at a, at a doctor's office when there's no story involved. You know, story is, I think, a really important part of this whole process. Yeah, I mean, you know, that subtle energies are really important. Again, you mentioned Wendy Warner. She talked about, you know, healing the energy field first that mm. has the stories that are associated with whatever's going on in the body, mm. that we are not separate. This, this takes me right back to season one with the koshas, mm. right? There is no separation of body, mind, spirit, emotions. Mm -hmm. They all are an integrated part of this collective whole of the universe that lives within my skin, right? And our neighborhood that lives outside. There isn't a separation of time and space mm -hmm. that things do link and being able to find that connect the dot picture to see how we get to different places. What is the trajectory? Where did we, um, where did our body, mm -hmm. our family, our neighborhood, our country, how did we go from place to place and connect those dots knowing that our, you know, like you said, our past and our present can unite in the story that we have to tell. But you did talk about pain in your body, so that's a really great opening for me to talk about nociception, which is our ability to feel pain. So Sherry used a really great example, this pain in her back. She, she united it and brought it together with a pattern that happened in her ankle. Maybe she sprained her ankle at some time in her life, fell off her bike, started to limp, whatever that might be, there was some pattern, something that happened. And oftentimes when we talk about low back pain, and I've worked with thousands of people who have low back pain, and there no two are the same. There are so many different ways to approach looking at back pain. And one of them is that there is something going on in the discs in the body, the discs in the spine. And oftentimes, this deformation in the spinal discs is visible on an x-ray and therefore it becomes the cause of the pain. But it could be this ankle. There's other pathways that we can explore and look at. For instance, a pelvis that's out of balance, a rotation in one, uh, one side to the other, hemipelvis, there's two sides of our pelvis. Maybe one has a rotation. Sometimes you look, I mean, if you're a yogi and a body worker, um, you're thinking, well, I have a high hip. I have so many people in my yoga classes saying, well, my hip is high. Maybe if we balance out that hip, that's their cause. Maybe it's a combination of causes like really t tight quadricep muscles or what everybody says in a yoga class. And that's a whole other episode is I have tight hamstrings. <laughs> and yes, maybe you do. But that always makes my brain say, are they tight short or are they tight long? Because if my pelvis is anteriorly rotated, it's gonna pull on my hamstrings. And maybe they're already at their longest length and that's why they feel tight. So we have so many different ways that the body can communicate the discomfort. 
and story is part of that. Um, when I had my, I've had my back go out three different times. I may have mentioned this earlier on. I noticed a pattern. So this is all coming back to story because that seems to be where I, I fit in is the story piece. But let's not minimize the story and how effective and valuable it is as a potential source for the pain. So um, the first time I got my back went out, I was in New York City and I had just finished my Shambhala meditation training. I had done six, I had done two different programs and they were several levels each. And at the end, there was this huge warriors assembly at Karma Choling. I think, I think it's Vermont. I don't remember where it was. Um, this big center warriors assembly. What a cool fucking thing to be. Like I'm a warrior now. I can go out there. I'm a peaceful warrior. And I made my reservation. I got my roommate. I got my train ticket. I was ready to go. And then my back went out and it was so painful. I found a chiropractor, which was something I had never done before. Um, that's another whole story. And then I was sitting and eating with my, with Shauna, who was on our first season. Also, we were sitting at Isabella's eating the chopped salad. And I told her I could not imagine even sitting on the train. I could barely sit in the seat to eat the lunch. I could barely think about climbing the stairs back to my apartment. And she said, well, I think you know what you need to do. And so I called the roommate and I said, this isn't gonna work out. I got my refund on my ticket. I, I backtracked on all of it. And within a day or two, my back was fine. It was fine. Fear was definitely a part of that. Um, and, and imposter syndrome was definitely a part of that. Who am I to get to be in the Warriors Assembly? What is this about? I didn't know this then though, because there was no pattern yet. It was just one isolated experience of a back pain. And the second time it went out, it was in the middle of my yoga teacher training. Like I said, I don't do handstand. I don't do full wheel. I don't do, you know, the peacock pose. I don't do, you know, forearm stand. I don't do a lot of the things that, you know, most people think a yoga teacher should be able to do without even thinking twice. And so, you know, when I was, and this was at the Prancing Peacock, which was such a loving, nurturing place to study. And so I was like, my back is out, what's going on? Everyone else is getting into the deep end and I'm sort of in the shallow end watching and taking my notes and thinking, I just don't belong here. Why do I get to be a yoga teacher? And so I, that was the experience. And then afterwards, my back was fine and you know, bada ba. And then it goes out again, but this time I can't figure out the cause. Oh, but after the second time, someone recommended a book by John Sarno. John fucking Sarno. He's not with us anymore, but his work changed my life. It was called Healing Back Pain. He's written, I think, several books on the subject. I only had the one, but I bought it, I think, six or seven times because I kept giving it away and I wanted it on my shelf. But he talked about, so yes, your discs may show up in an MRI as being bulging or slipped or whatever. He said, but if you had a room of 100 people and 85 people had the same pictures on their MRI, but only, and I'm making up numbers here because I don't remember the actual numbers, but say only 10% of those people actually experienced pain, then what you see on the film is how can that be the source of the pain if only a small selection of those people were actually experiencing pain, but they all have the same picture on their, on their MRI. Uh, he also talked about the value of looking at stories. He started out, I think, a back surgeon and noticed that the rate of recidivism for back pain was sky high. He also, and I hope that I'm getting all the story straight because it's been a while since I've read it, but my recollection of the story is, and you can read the book and you know say yay or nay, 
but that in the 1970s, there was a huge uptick of women. And he says, not particularly type A women, but women who like, you know, like everyone to be happy and make the world a good place and make sure everyone has what they need. And all of that, there was a huge um, percentage of women who had bleeding ulcers in their stomachs. My mother was one of them. She was a combination of type A and that, that sort of, does everyone have what they need? And so she was chugging Maalox like it was going out of style. And then one day they discovered, they, the medical people, that antibiotics actually helped this particular condition. So there goes the Maalox. That stock dropped immediately because they, we no longer had it in the fridge. My mom did the antibiotics. Bleeding ulcer gone, Never, no more symptoms. But what John Sarno noticed at that time was an immediate uptick of shoulder, neck, and back pain. And so that was a curiosity. He was like, ooh, that's interesting. So he started implementing talk therapy as part of a system that included physical therapy, which he thought together was the right recipe. And he noticed the rate of recidivism went starkly down. And I think by the end of his career, he even eliminated the physical therapy because he didn't want people to be confused thinking that that was the healing part. It was the healing of the stories that really sort of took people from point A to point B. Now I say that not without the gravity of sometimes it's musculoskeletal. Sometimes you have to look at the freaking body and notice that there is, you know, is it the symptom or the cause? But there, there is typically also going to be a story there. So the third time I had the back go out, I'm sorry, I'm going to stop in a moment. I called my dad, who was a psychiatrist. And I said, Dad, I'm not calling you as a dad. I'm calling you as a shrink. I said, I know that there is a connection. There is an emotional story connection to this current back pain. I cannot find it. Within five minutes, he had me in tears. He talked a bit about my ordinal position. He talked about, you know, my trajectory. He knew my stories and he was always the ear that, that was receiving my stories. So he had a full picture, a holistic picture of, of me. And he had me in tears by the next morning. I swear to God or goddess, mother nature, all the divine energies out there, back pain gone. I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> I love your dad. I love I miss him. I, I love him so much. Cheers, Bob. Yes. All right. If we're going to cheers. This cheers is to a, Bob. We have our signature drink here that Sherry made for me before I arrived. A little organic lemonade, a little pomegranate juice, the rest water, and fresh mint from my garden. Cheers. cheers. Mm. <sighs> yeah. Okay. So... <laughs> Moving on from those stories from Nociception, I do want to read because I really believe this has so much to do with the stories. And this comes from the website for Upledger. And so it's upledger.co.uk. All right. And it says, in the many years Dr. Upledger spent working with people, he noticed, as many of his practitioners that took his courses also noticed, that some physical symptoms would not fully release and heal until an emotional component was taken care of too. This may be the case in chronic illness as well as in less obvious subclinical patterns such as poor immunity, lack of energy, a lack of confidence or anxiety. In considering how to best assist this link between physical tissue and emotional and mental aspects, 
he began to draw in a few different strands of mind and body work that could be linked into the work he was doing physically, listening to and following the body's tissue releases. So this is goes across many different body workers, this connection between this interception. So now we're talking about the story and how we feel mm -hmm. and how it connects and is united with in some time, I'm not going to say always, but in some cases with the pain and discomforts that we have in our body. So this link between interoception and nociception, the ability to experience pain and this somo emotional mm -hmm. part of us called interoception. What's going on inside all of this? What the hell is going on in there? We so uh, we do have uh, one more, I believe, and that's extraception, which pertains to the stimuli that originates from outside of our body. And remembering that our body is a universe, our body is a neighborhood, right? Our neighborhood is also a neighborhood. So sitting here, luckily in Sherry's greenhouse, we have <laughs> chosen to let the flies and the bugs stay on the outside, so we're not working with that stimuli. Sometimes when I'm out in nature and I hear the bird song, I'm, I think to myself initially, gosh, I wish I couldn't hear the hum of traffic from the busy road down the street. But then I remember that the busy road down the street and the traffic that I'm hearing are my neighbors out, maybe picking their kids up from school, um, going to the food store. Maybe they're just taking a ride over to the park to mm -hmm. sit in nature themselves. Who knows where they're going? But it is part of that sound that's always around us. Part of the stimuli that's coming from external sources that we get to interpret, mm -hmm. maybe give meaning to, or if you've listened to some of our previous podcasts, maybe experience without labeling. Yeah, I was in my garden not too long ago and I have this amazing new neighbor across the street who I just freaking adore and she was playing music and you know sometimes it, you could it's not really loud where you are but the the wind takes it and I heard it like it was coming from next door and instead I felt so happy I felt the joy and celebration and I started moving my body and then it got me to text her and to say hey and then she said is my music too loud and I was like I'm loving it don't even worry about it like I just but it reminded me it was an external stimulation that reminded me to connect with her to actually reach out mm. and say hey so it wasn't annoying I mean when she said is it too loud and so I started to say that I wasn't annoyed I was actually filled with this feeling of connection with my neighbors I live in a neighborhood where a lot of the the families and kids for the we've been here for 20 years were more in the center of the neighborhood and we're on the end where there are more retirees and you know which is we're almost empty nesters too i mean it's this kind of a different feeling so for my new wonderful neighbor to come in and to bring music and to bring this celebration into i just felt more connected to my neighborhood having a neighbor that i feel very connected to um, and I have a lot of neighbors who I love. I mean, this is not, but just, it spoke to me. Well, since you're talking about music and dancing and singing, it kind of reminds me of mantra and yes. maybe a song that um, you have agreed to 
sing for us today. Yes. And I wish I knew all the words. <clears throat> I will know them. You will. I will. <clears throat> because gonna, <clears throat> it's me. kind of repetitive. And you did say you were a peaceful warrior. And for anybody who might be able to see um, some of our teasers or not, she has a peaceful shirt on today. So this, this was a song I discovered in the beginning of the pandemic when there was much more isolation. And I say that, I mean, I feel very lucky because I have, I had three kids at home and my husband was here. I've got four animals. So even in isolation, I always had someone to hug. I had something to anchor myself to, but I also was not without the understanding that there were plenty of people without that daily interaction and this feeling of isolation. And even with that, the isolation from activities and, you know, even the mental isolation that I feel today, it really worked on my my mind, which is a whole other podcast. Um, but I discovered this woman, what's her name? Her name is Allison Davies, Allison Davies. And she came on, I don't remember if someone sent it to me, but she said, this is something that you can sing even with your children. You don't have to explain it. You don't have to say how or why it works, but it's a fun, catchy tune. And she said, and if it sticks in your head and you're not singing it out loud, but it just becomes an earworm of sorts, it's still having a positive effect on the body. And we know that vibration and sound and singing has a positive effect on our nervous system. It has a positive effect on our mood. It can has a potential positive effect for sleep and all other um, ways of being and moving through the world. So this is not a Sanskrit mantra. It is in English and you're going to find, I do one note a little different than she does just naturally. So if you listen, she's on YouTube and her thing, it says music in isolation. Episode one is where the song, it's not the first one I saw, but this is when I went to find her. This is where I found her. It's called every little cell. <clears throat> and you can join with me at some point. And if you're, if you're like me in the shower, I sing it in the shower. I sing it first thing in the morning when I wake up and it just makes me happy. It's one of my morning practices. Now it goes something like this. Every little cell in my body is happy. Every little cell in my body is well. Every little cell in my body is happy. Every little cell in my body is well. I'm so glad every little cell in my body is happy and well. She does this. Every little cell. I'm so, I'm sorry. <laughs> Let me start again. I'm so glad every little cell in my body is happy and well. Every little cell in my body is happy. Every little cell in my body is well. Every little cell in my body is happy. Every little cell in my body is well. I'm so glad every little cell in my body is happy and well. I'm so glad every little cell in my body is happy and well. Every little cell in my body is happy. Every little cell in my body is well. Every little cell in my body is happy. Every little cell in my body is well. I'm so glad every little cell in my body is happy and well. Then that's the mantra. Um, you, and the reason I modulated it and went soft to big, energized to, to soft is because we modulate. We are never one note. And so however you're feeling and even within the time that you're singing, just move interoceptively. You may be receiving messages 
that want you to go faster, want you to go slower, are encouraging you to be louder or softer. I know that, you know, when I'm doing it in the morning, it's just, it. you never know where I'm going. The roller coaster is up and down, and but I find that it also helps me to get in touch with the internal messages because I am completely free. I am completely um, at, at the behest of this tune. And so, there you go. It stays with you. You introduced me to this tune, and... Although I was lagging a little and got confused on the words there once or twice, it was in my head the whole drive <laughs> over because <laughs> I knew this is exactly where we were going yeah. to um, come to. Yeah. So Allison Davies, go Allison check her out. Davies. She's wonderful, and um, you might find more. So let's talk about camp before we go one more time because we're getting close to the end. Do we have any practices Wait, or homework today? That was my practice. Did oh. you have a practice? I thought our, you were going to do something. Pract my practice was going to be our dedication at the end. Oh, that's right. So before you actually do it, I want to say that what Teresa is oh. going to offer is inspired by the Buddhist dedication of merit, which typically goes I mean, there are many different ways of doing it, and people change a word here or there, add a word here or there. But when I got it from Cindy Lee at Om Yoga, well, it was said in all the classes, and Lippy would end every class with this. And so I ended also with, may all beings have happiness and the causes of happiness. May all beings, um, oh my God, have, uh, may, all have <laughs> may all beings have happiness and the causes of happiness. May all beings be free from suffering and the causes of suffering. May all beings never be parted from freedom's true joy. May all beings dwell in equanimity, free from attachment, aversion, and ignorance. And that is the dedication of merit. So what we decided to do was create something called the dedication of unity. Um, and yes, my homework or my suggestion is as you listen and then maybe adopt these words to notice how they feel in your body. How do they interoceptively land? How do they make you feel? What emotions or feelings can you um, connect with as we communicate together? Oh, I love that. Yeah, so maybe we can place our hands in front of our heart. You get to choose. Both Sherry and I did the same thing. We put our left hand down first and let the right hand rest on top mm -hmm. of it. May we always see ourselves reflected in others. May we align with the rhythm of the natural world. May we feel the totality of the universe within us. May our interdependence offer us liberty to live in compassion, generosity, intelligence, and peace. Om Shanti. Om Shanti. Shanti, for those of you who don't know, means peace. Mm -hmm. Shanti, Shanti, Shanti. And I do like that as soon as I finish the line, may we align with the rhythm of the natural world. That bird made a really beautiful song in the background, so um, hopefully that came through. Yes. Please join us for camp. We will be teasing out more information, and by next week, we will have registration open so that you can join. It's four Sundays. It's two hours each Sunday. We're taking these conversations into the world. Let's give them dates as the first drop oh, yeah, of yeah. the teaser. How's that? So Perfect. you can mark your calendars as we continue to add additional information. So it's four Sundays. Starting on July 17th, ending on August 7th. 
and it will be 2.30 to 4.30 in the afternoon and we'll say it's in Bucks County right now so for all of you who are local or feel like traveling a little bit mark your calendar and please visit our website I'm gonna put that in the show notes um, we'll put that in the show notes so that you can sign up for our newsletter if you're not already on that way you'll hear all about camp and you'll get the registration first and we'll get to see you and meet you and play with you the information about camp will be on the events page so make sure you stop by there until then see you next time thank you for joining us today if you like what you heard please click the like and follow buttons and give us a five-star rating wherever you listen these ratings help our grassroots podcast to become more visible to more people so we can include more stories Written reviews are like stars on steroids. If you are so moved, please write a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We are just getting started. So if there's something you'd like us to cover, please email us at anecdotalanatomy at gmail.com. Tell us your stories. We'd like to thank our editor, Judith George, Keith Kenny for our music, and Cindy Fatsis for our photos. <laughs>